Today, I'm talking with my friend, Stephanie Deer, who is a special education teacher in the Moundsview Public School District and a mother of two sons, one of whom we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about today. He's nine years old and his name is Logan and he has autism, ADHD, and anxiety. Hi, Steph. Thank you for being here. Such a special time to get to hang out with you and talk to you about everything that you know as a mom and now a professional special ed teacher. Just to give a little bit of background, um, I met Steph about 12 or so years ago. We were both working in a mental health clinic in St. Paul. At the time, I was doing a lot of neuropsych testing and therapy with kids The years tick by and I'm raising Will, my son with ADHD, and you became a parent and Mr. Logan came along. How old was Logan when you started thinking there might be something up with him? Our our biggest indicator probably came around 12 months when we, he just wasn't talking. He wasn't babbling. He wasn't really making that eye contact. He wasn't really that snuggly baby that you kind of are led to believe is going to be part of parenthood, you know, he, he had no words. And so that was kind of our first concern. We brought it up to our pediatrician. Pediatrician was like, you know, sometimes in boys, they take a little bit longer to develop language, but you know, we'll keep an eye on it. And it was right around 16 months that there still was just nothing. Like there was no progress. There were no, there was no babbling. And I think that was kind of our biggest red flag right there. I didn't know anything about autism. I didn't know anything about developmentally delayed um, and had never even heard of the Help Me Help Me Grow program that we had initially seeked out. So for us, we were, I mean, this was our first child. We had, we had no child to compare it to except for the ones in our neighborhood. That was kind of our first key. And then we started no- noticing just what we didn't know the term for, but it was, it was now what's called stimming. Okay. Um, there was a lot of spinning. There was flapping. There was lining up of cars. There was just those very typical, yeah. you know, stereotypical signs of ASD. And so we started looking more into it. We finally, I think around 16 months, we had finally told our pediatrician, you know, something's just not right. And I feel like we need to, we need to get help. Like I, the, because there was no language, we were having the biggest meltdowns and we just didn't know how to parent him. And I didn't want to, we didn't want to, you know, hinder any development if we could get these early intervention services that we kind of thought were probably key in his development. And so we did get a referral to the Help Me Grow program. um, And they came out to our home, they did a free assessment. It was life changing. From that point on, we got the support we needed. And yeah, (laughs) that's kind of where we started off. So, so were you in the denial zone, like many parents, like, like I certainly, even though I knew that Will likely had ADHD when I was told when he was in kindergarten and that information came to me in the feedback session and it sort of, it, it really took a while to sink in fully what was happening. Was that at all something you relate to? Yeah. I mean, just as parents in general, I, I, I didn't want to blame anyone else but ourselves. Like we took full responsibility for, we're like, we thought we were doing everything right. We've been reading since to him since he was in the womb. We've been, I mean, everything that we read about in the parenting handbooks, we thought we were doing. 
but he still wasn't talking. So I think initially it wasn't denial. It was more of like, what, what are we doing wrong? Like, how okay. are we raising this kid that's not picking up on anything that we're teaching him right <laughs> yeah. now? And so we were, we were just more confused than anything. And then I, I think the way it was presented um, as the team that came into our houses, they presented it as like, this is just a little like jumpstart. This is a little help to kind of push him in the right direction. And yeah. that's exactly what it was. I mean, he went from, he really didn't say full sentences or even start speaking until he was about three years old. At that point, I mean, his language exploded. I mean, we did a burst of speech in the school and he went from like two words to 250 in a matter of like six months. So we needed that early intervention. Like I said before, it was life-changing for us. But he still wasn't diagnosed with autism yet, was he? No. He, yeah, when team, was that? Well, our team was pretty hesitant because of the progress that he was making. They were pretty hesitant to even throw out that language with us because the, he, was ke- he was starting to catch up a little bit. We didn't, want to, we didn't want a diagnosis right away. I think for us, we were really hopeful just as rookie parents that, that he would catch up and he wouldn't be delayed and he would have the skills that he needed that were considered age appropriate. But it wasn't until that aggression, so we'll backtrack a little bit, when we started noticing these red flags, I was then pregnant with Owen. So I couldn't really pretend that Owen wasn't coming along but we also knew that we were in for kind of a bigger trip than we had <laughs> yeah. anticipated. So, Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we knew that we need to get Logan under control in order for us to handle life with two kids. And that was kind of why we needed to reach out when we did. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was right around four. We, we had these epic meltdowns. They were tantrums that would last for, you know, 45 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour and a half. Bedtime routine was taking two to three hours at night. There was just nothing easy right now. And so he was around four that he had finally, like our breaking point was he had taken Owen's head out of the middle of nowhere. It was flat out impulsivity. He had taken Owen's head and slammed it into the concrete of our driveway. And at that moment, I was like, this is not right. Like, this is not just developmentally delayed. I can't accept that. Like, there's something else that is going on. I can't have our youngest kid getting injured all the time. I mean, he was pushed downstairs. He was, he was just the easiest outlet for, for Logan. They were always in the same room. They were always playing together. And then just out of the clear blue, he would push him or hit him or kick him or whatever the case was. And that, it just wasn't fair to Owen. So we had yeah. brought in our school psychologist that was kind of became a part of Logan's team and asked her to do a simple observation on him in the classroom. And of course, for I feel like a lot of parents can agree <laughs> with this, but your child is so much different at home than they are in the classroom. <laughs> and so for us, we, um, we saw everything, you know, all the big feelings at home. In the classroom, he was just this little bottled up cute kid that never pushed a soul. And wow. so they're like, you know, we can give you a referral to get a neuropsych eval done, but it's not, I mean, it's not urgent. Well, in our eyes, it was urgent. <laughs> so yeah. we, we jumped on that and we surprisingly, you know, we were told that it was like a six to nine month wait list. And um, we actually got in on a cancellation within like two weeks. So he was and about- you liked, the, you liked the, the um, you felt that the neuropsych was- was very helpful then. Yes. Yes. It was, it was our expl- explanation. It was exactly what we needed to hear. It, it was our reasoning for him on why he was doing these really big 
things that we thought we were giving him all the tools that we knew of. And he just, nothing was soaking in. Nothing was, he, he couldn't, he, he just couldn't help himself. Like there was, it was out of his control as much as it was out of our control. Right. <laughs> so. Right. As a parent, what have you learned about what triggers Logan's outbursts? I mean, I think so many people, they, they just like listening to you would be thinking like, how were you not so angry at your son who was hurting your other son and trying to work that through? Like what was going on with Logan? Do you think? Yeah, we, we started doing a lot of tracking of his meltdowns and his behavior. And we looked to see if there was this common trend that we could at least help him or steer away from if we were trying to find, you know, this common core reasoning or triggers. Um, yeah. Yes. Triggers. What were his triggers? Yes. Yep. And for him, his biggest thing was being overstimulated. So if we were in big crowds, he, you know, you have to picture this little four-year-old standing basically at everyone's legs. And if he is in a crowded room, all he sees is legs. He does not see faces. He does not, he hear he sees legs and he hears voices and that's it. And so that was the auditory stimulation that he could not, he could not handle. And so we really started avoiding crowded places. We, we planned out our outings when we knew it wasn't going to be busy. You know, we went to museums when they first opened instead of in the middle of the afternoon. I mean, we really strategically planned out ever. I felt like every aspect of our day, we didn't do more than one, one one-on-one play dates. Um, If we did a group of people, I mean, he was pushing and shoving everyone. Oh, oh, other kids besides Owen. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. There's a lot of planning. A lot of planning and which you happen to be skilled at just me knowing you prior to even having a child because of just the way you have planned out running marathons and so many things. So you could tell that Logan would get overstimulated in a crowd, come home and then take it out on Owen. To a T. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you did a lot of, you've had a lot of specialists in your life. Wow. Yes. I was wondering, okay, so we're on this path. He's now four. He gets the neuropsych at, is that when he was diagnosed? Yeah, four and a half. Four and a half. And then you're still working at the clinic. And I never envisioned you being in billing forever. I I mean, I knew that you were going to do something. How did you get into being a special ed teacher? Like, how did this happen? Oh, my gosh. Well, so our Bertha 2 team, so the team for Logan that did the in-home services. We actually thankfully got to work with them a second time with Owen because Owen was a preemie. Owen had, um, again, a delayed of speech and social emotionally had a lot of attachment issues. So we got to work with the same team two times. And the second time around, my friend Sarah, who was the lead special ed teacher, she she was kind of like my, my aha. Like she came up to me as we were kind of being dismissed and Logan was being moved on to the three to five team and Owen was graduating, she goes, you know, you have something that a lot of parents don't like you just naturally have picked up on every single tool that we have provided you every, like, have you ever thought about going back and getting your special ed license? And I'm like, I literally laughed in her face and I said, (laughs) Sarah, you know, my life right now, there is no way I can go back to school and raise these two tiny humans right now. Like that is the funniest thing I have ever heard. So she, she looked at Josh, my husband and was like, 
she, she has to go back to school. I mean, she was so dead serious. She goes, we need her. We need a special ed teacher like her. There are not a lot of teachers out there that have the lens of a parent and a teacher. Sure enough, what did I do? A year later, I applied for grad school and I here I am. I am a special ed t- teacher and I don't know how I survived that two years. <laughs> I remember seeing you at work and you were just, but you were happy. Oh you, my gosh. You seemed like you really, you, you seemed just like it was the right thing. Yes. I mean, everything that I learned in those graduate classes, not only are being applied to my kids in the classroom, but my own kids at home, like just my, the approach that I have on parenting is basically a teacher approach in the home. I mean, yeah. I, I, it is so rewarding to see all of that money that I paid at St. Thomas <laughs> to be <laughs> <laughs> to be paid off. I mean, it's it's a great feeling. Well, that's another thing I wonder about because as a parent, you know, myself having Will, who's now 21 and ADHD just continues to shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is really exciting. We just dropped him off at college and then he sent pictures of his room and everything. And of oh. course I was like hovering around because I wanted to help stay to, to help him with his room, you know, but in in COVID time, first of all, he's a junior. And second of all, it's COVID. And there's just many reasons why I was not welcome to stay forever yes. in the Mrs. Room. But so later he sent pictures at my request. And it was just so, I had so much gratitude that he had organized his room so well. You as a parent, when your child has struggled, there is a happiness to see like things pay off. I feel like I relate to to a ton of what you're saying about being at home and applying some of the things you've been lucky enough to learn in your career. Yeah. I also have to do a lot to keep myself from getting overwhelmed by my kids' stressors. Yeah. I, I imagine you do too. And yours are so much younger. So what do you do when you've had a really rough day with kids and then you come home? How are you working that out? I mean, clearly you're not in the classroom right now, or are you? We are. We will be on the 21st of September. <laughs> we, have, we have one more week of distance learning, but um, we'll touch on that later. Okay. Yeah, I mean, exercise has always been my outlet. I, I run marathons for fun. Right now with COVID, I have definitely taken the year off because I just, I didn't really want to feel like running a virtual marathon was as rewarding as actually running <laughs> on the course. <laughs> So it's that my time to myself is just that time I go to go running. I mean, I will get up before the kids are even awake and I go for a run. And sometimes it's 20 minutes if I have only 20 minutes and sometimes it's 45 minutes to an hour. So that is just really my time. And that is also my time to reset. I am generally a morning runner. So morning has just always been my jam. And it's also my time to just, it jumpstarts my body for the day ahead. So if I don't get my run in, I feel more sluggish. I feel not as alert as I would be if I had gone on a run. There is something about you, Steph, this positive attitude. Like, do you have to really work at that? No. <laughs> I mean, yes, maybe. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just feel like there's, there's nothing's really that bad. I mean, it is bad. It is stressful. It is a challenge. But there's always another day. Like, you can always try again. I think that's kind of my, been my motto. Like, if something's not, if something did not go the way you wanted it to today, 
you have, you get to try again tomorrow. Like that's the beauty of just having another day to look forward to. And so it, it's not that I'm not trying my hardest in the moment, but I just know that if I mess up or if something's just not as planned, I get to try again the next day. And I think that's kind of what we've in, embedded in our own kids. I mean, we're not going to have perfect days. My kids are far from perfect. I mean, they, <laughs> we have some struggle. We have some days that are really big struggle and you know what? We always go to bed. We always love them unconditionally. And we always say, you know what? We'll try again tomorrow. Today is just, today was not a perfect day and we don't expect any day to be perfect, but sometimes we set high expectations for ourselves and yeah, I just, it's something that my kids are going to grow up just knowing that we get to try again the next day. We get to try again. I love that phrase. I mean, it's so nurturing hearing that out of your mouth. We get to try again. And I just envision these little people around you with teacher stuff saying, yep. we, we, we'll just try again. Yes. I took, yeah. a, um, I took a nurtured heart class, the nurtured heart approach. And we, yeah. we took it as parents and it was, it was, Brought, like shown to us or t- told to us about how to handle your intense child. And so I'm like, well, we have an intense child. We need to try, we need to take this class. And so we took it as parents. Um, Josh and I took it together. And the biggest takeaway from that class was just finding the greatness in your child. And so we have a big yellow sign on a refrigerator and it says that is a quality of greatness. And it's our reminder that even though our child is throwing, you know, toys across the room or breaking things. I'm trying, I try my hardest to find greatness out of that. I mean, instead of throwing 20 toys at a time, they only threw two. So I'm going to say, thank you so much for only throwing two toys. Now you only have two toys to clean up instead of 20. And so I, that sticks with me kind of like waking up and having a new start or having another chance. That part is always my reminder of like finding every kid's greatness. And it's hard to do when those things are flying at you and you're trying to be a ninja, like dive bombing <laughs> objects that are flying at you. I mean, it's, it's hard, but you, I mean, if you dig deep, kids respond in a weird way when they think that you're about to yell at them. Oh my gosh. They look at you like, do you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to flip your house upside down. I mean, it's, if I tell them, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for not breaking my glass window. That means so much to me. I don't have to clean up glass all over my floor now. They're looking at me like, what is she smoking right now? <laughs> like, I am trying to get you, you know, I'm trying to light up your buttons right now. So, And you're not doing it. Well, that leads, Steph, that leads yes. right into us talking about what are your tips for parents in this ASD journey? And for any parent who I do want to clarify autism spectrum disorder, I was watching a show with my husband last night, love on the spectrum actually. Mm. And he was like, what is ASD? And so for anyone listening, autism spectrum disorder who may not know, but what are your ASD tips for parents these days, Steph? All right. So I have a list. So get ready. Buckle down. I am ready. I love it. um, I had a really hard time distinguishing what my list is as an educator and what my list is as a parent. And I feel like I have found a very happy medium that can be applied in the teaching world and in the parenting world. And so I'm going to start at the bottom of my list. The first one is just living life in the moment. Do what your child needs right now and do not worry about what their needs will be in 20 years. I think my biggest problem, right when we got the diagnosis, I looked at Logan and I'm like, 
oh my gosh, he is going to live with us for the rest of his life. He is never going to have life skills. We are, how are we going to parent this? This is crazy. I feel like every parent at some point is like, oh my gosh, when they turn 18, they're off to college. And then this, and then you just have this whole beautiful like schedule laid out for them. And the first thing that came to my mind is, oh my gosh, he is going to be with us for the rest of our life. I, but I, as the, as the years went on and as we started understanding autism and, you know, Logan is very high functioning. He has beautiful language. He is really starting to tell us about his emotions. He has made so much progress. And I'm like, you know what? I really think we're, we just need to give him the tools that he needs right now. When he is nine, this is what I need to give him. This is the love I need to show him. These are the services we need to get for him right now. I have no idea what 18 to 21 is going to look like. Yep. I, I, I can't worry about that right now. This is what he needs. And he just needs us as parents to love him. So my number seven is don't compare. My, my biggest thing is as both an educator and a parent, um, you meet one child with autism and you've literally met one child with autism. Yep. You will never find a complete replica of Logan anywhere else. His spectrum of autism is so much different than any other high functioning kids with autism. So I, I had, I had to stop comparing. I mean, Logan, he's one that, you know, he has all these great things. He is intelligent in math. He goes above and beyond. He's a rule follower. (laughs) Everything about him is, is Logan. I cannot, the one thing I could not grasp was how does he have all this language and he's still not toilet trained. I could not figure that out. And he, and it was recently until he was eight years old that that light, that light bulb went on and we did some serious work with the toileting and he's fully toilet trained now, but I, I know the little victories. Um, (laughs) But I could not figure out because every other eight year old that I have met with autism, they were all toilet trained and I could not put that aside for me, but Logan's Logan. I mean, Logan has autism and there's no other eight or nine year old out there that is exactly like him. So I think even as an educator, I may see a kid come in onto my caseload who has a category of autism spectrum disorder. And I I don't even look at their file. I don't look at their IEP. I literally interview the parents and talk to the parents first because I want my own image of this child. And I want to get to know this child first before I even dive into their IEP. So yeah. Let some of the things go that you're obsessing about. Realize that you have to stay where you are when that in that child's development and try not to think my child will never be toilet trained because that's pretty unrealistic. Right. (laughs) It is. I, I kept telling myself in the back of my mind, he is not going to graduate from high school in diapers. Like we've got this, <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> My number six is just advocate, advocate, advocate. I cannot tell you how many times we have had to push for things to be ch- changed on Logan's IEP. Just even with insurance companies, no one ever wants to cover services just because your kid has autism. So I feel like the only way we we're going to get Logan this, the skills and the, the developmentally age appropriate age expectancy skills that he needs is to advocate for him. Um, he didn't have a voice and we are his voice right now until he is old enough to start having more input on things. I mean, we have to know 
we have to know what's best for him. And so advocating is just, I can't stress that enough. Um, yeah. You're not yeah. being pushy. You're, it's your job yes. as a parent to do it. And we're going to yeah. tease that apart sometime too, a bit more, you know, about what exactly do you have like one thing in the advocacy role, for example, with insurance that has helped you? Well, pre-autism diagnosis, we could not get anything covered. I mean, he did not qualify for speech. He did not qualify for OT. Um, and if he did, it was all paying out of pocket. Um, and he did not qualify for any services at Fraser. So for us pre-autism diagnosis, it was a nightmare. And we just felt like we had to stick with just the school system and the services that were provided in the school. After we got that d- diagnosis, it opened up our doors to unlimited services across the board. So our insurance plan is phenomenal in supporting mental health, um, but you have to have the diagnosis to get it. And so as hesitant as we were to get like an actual medical diagnosis, it changed our lives just for the better. Yeah. For people to hear that from you. I mentioned that and I talk about that with families, but it's, it's really good to hear that from a parent. Um, So going into my number five, my number five is, See your child for their abilities, not their disabilities. When I say that, it was so easy for me to look at Logan and point out everything that he was not doing. He wasn't talking. He wasn't toilet trained. He was hitting his brother. He doesn't know how to self-regulate. All of those things I got caught up on. And so as, as we soaked in the autism diagnosis and just understanding what autism was and what those needs were. Logan thrives when we talk about how smart he is in math. And he loves when we point out how well he's playing with his brother at times. I mean, the the things that we are, I mean, the progress that he has made, I mean, he can sit down for 45 minutes to an hour and functionally play with Owen without a slap in the face. I mean, we have made this progress and it's, it's not easy. It was hard work to do, Um, (laughs) but we can do it. And now we can point that out as like something, some sort of progress that he has made instead of the, Oh my gosh, he's just hit his brother again. Okay. Now you've got to separate. I mean, we, it was, it was draining as a parent. and, And not only just his knowledge about trains, Yes. Area of interest, right? (laughs) One of his, I mean, his knowledge about trains has got to be, that's so amazing too. Oh my gosh. Well, and not only is it trains, but now he has every state in the United States memorized with their capitals and what their unique features are. He now, he now knows, I mean, he can multiply, he can divide. He's basically doing fifth or sixth grade math right now with not even knowing he's doing it. So I mean, the kid is just, it's so much fun to see him just blossom right now. My number four is seeing your child's progress as a marathon, not a sprint. When I say that, <laughs> I cannot tell you, for, for me as a parent, I expected, okay, Logan's getting speech services, awesome. He better be talking by the end of the week. Okay, Logan is getting OT services. His sensory needs better be completely under control by the end of the month. Like I had these really high expectations that these were quick fixes. Like he's getting the services. Why isn't he changing? And now as an educator, as we track students progress on their, that are on their IEPs, I mean, we, we are taking daily, you know, increments of data on each of their goals and objectives. And, you know, we, I, I'm now explaining to parents, you're going to see progress 
it may be a while until we meet this goal. And so I think that was my biggest eye opener. Just it's, it's easier for me to now explain to my families as a special ed teacher, because we've already gone through it and I've already, you know, tried to go through the sprint and win the race instead of (laughs) taking it head on as a marathon and be like, you know what, we, we got this. Like we have all the time in the world. This kid is going to eventually catch up and he's going to meet his goals and it's going to be okay if he doesn't. And so it it is. I like that. What you just said too. Um, that piece, I think as a parent, I, I didn't realize how much I was hoping ADHD away for a long time. I was kind of thinking, okay, by the time my son is in this grade, this is gonna, you know, I would just envision, okay, this is going to be happening at this point. I try really hard not to do that. Um, the, the research is correct that yes. kids with ADHD tend to be about two years to three years behind in daily living skills. Yes. So, hey, that is actually correct. (laughs) Something that I've seen in many, many studies. And therefore, if cooking is a weird process for my son and I kind of watch him in this awkward way, holding different utensils, I'm thinking, so what? So what if he's a few years behind, but that takes a while as a parent to, and I know cooking is a funny example. So, but you see it across all of the areas of their lives, right? You see these funny little quirky things. Yep. So then leading into number three, parents, we have got to remember that we are the captain of our child's ship. Our input as a parent is 10 times more valuable than any data collected by a teacher. So when you are sitting at an IEP meeting, my, my biggest advice is that you need to speak up. The yeah. teachers want to hear what you have to say. You are just as a part of the team as the teachers and the related services are. It took me a while to understand that as a parent. My biggest thing was, you know, they're the educators. Like they're the ones that are the experts. I have no idea what I'm doing you just tell me what I need to do for my child and I'll do it. Like it, that didn't really take us that far. We had a, we had very lopsided IEP meetings. I felt like at times for us to finally speak up. I mean, you know, we were dragging Logan into the school when we were walking up to school, we were dragging him just to get him in the door of school. And so we finally, I was like, we need an IEP meeting. Like this is, this is cannot happen. He is not he should not be entering into school this anxious. Oh, and it threw through his whole day off. And it it took his team that year to to actually see it live. Like they were on the playground waiting for him and they were seeing him kicking and hitting me. And you know, they they got kicked themselves. And I'm like, now you see what we deal with on a daily basis. Okay. I, because there is, I think the hardest part for anyone who knows Logan on for on as a part of his team was that what he shows in our house is not what he shows in the classroom. So we get pooped on, I would say a whole different word, but we get pooped on as parents because we are his safety net, right? Like we, we had to fight to get him sensory breaks at school because we knew how dysregulated he would become at the end of the day if we didn't get those sensory breaks in. And so, right. Even those steps, they did, they weren't. So many parents aren't seeing like the school will say they're not seeing the symptoms there and the challenges. And so you were able to join with the school and say, 
A, I'll show you some of it as we get out of the car. You had to be vulnerable, Steph. To have your child lashing out at you, there is some vulnerability that's required of a person. Yes. To, you know. And I needed them to see it. I, they're just, there wasn't, we're, we are in a really good place right now, but there was, there was a time where it, I just felt like it was anything we said, it wasn't believed. It was like, well, he doesn't show that at school, so we can't really help him or help you. And I'm like, there, there's gotta be a way. So I, it just, parents have to speak up at those IEP meetings. I mean, our input is so valuable. I can't emphasize that enough. So, so parents, if they are speaking up and the school continues to say, I don't see it, what would you say for them to do? I mean, they can always, their rights as parents having a kid on an IEP is to request a mediation meeting. And that would involve more higher ups in their district. We've never had to get to that, to that point, And I sure hope that my families that I service don't, we don't have to get to that point. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, re, it's a reality. It's a right that parents have. And if they are truly unsatisfied with their services or not being heard, um, that is their right. It's, it's part of their procedural safeguards that they get at every IEP meeting or that they should be getting at every IEP meeting. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Okay. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one too. My, my next one I, and I mentioned this at the beginning of this podcast, is early, early intervention is key. I never knew what Help Me Grow was. I never knew what early under, intervention even meant. I honestly, everything that you read in parenting handbooks was just this very cookie cutter like child that you're going to raise. And if you read to them, they're going to have language. And if you play with them, they're going to have social skills and all of that, right? None of that was true. I mean, we did all of that and then some, and we still yeah. didn't have those results. And so if I cannot imagine where Logan would be if we did not reach out when he was that age, if he, yeah. if we had waited until he's, he was nine, I mean, that was, that's seven, eight years of services that we missed out on. I mean, if you have a gut feeling as yeah. parents, you have got to just trust your gut and go with it and reach out. I mean, it's, it, it changed, it changed our lives. And I cannot imagine how far behind Logan would have been if we did not get those early intervention services. Yeah. And you did it, even though you were afraid of a diagnosis and you didn't totally. want the diagnosis, but you did it anyway. And you're thriving because you made that choice to trust other people with him. Yes. Yep. And that was the best decision. <laughs> yeah. Huge. So if you've got a feeling in your gut, something's not right, go to the pediatrician. If the pediatrician doesn't validate it and says, you know, it seems okay, ask to see someone else, like a developmental pediatrician. Just yes. keep reaching out. Yeah, keep advocating. I mean, if your gut's telling you one thing, that there's something not right with your child's development, I cannot stress the importance of finding someone that will help you guys. And then my top, my top reason, my top advice or recommendation is just let your kid be a kid. You need to do the necessary services, but you also need to find that balance. We had a very lopsided summers, some summers, and some summers were great, but some summers we had social skills. We had partial, you know, partial treatment. We had speech. We had OT. I mean, we had all the services because we were so terrified that if we didn't provide our child all of the services, that he wouldn't be on track to being yeah. successful down the, down the road. And so I, I cannot emphasize enough. You just need to find that balance. If your child is maxed out and stressed out and not wanting to go, and it's more of a hassle to get them to yes. the services, 
it's not worth it. Your yeah. child needs to be a child. And we, we took a break. We took a big break from OT services. We took a big break from speech. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's doing just fine. It's okay to take breaks. <laughs> and it's just okay. Let your, yes. Yeah. So you ha- you were leading with fear at times, yes. like fear was telling you, if we don't do this, we're, if they, we're going to fail him. Yes. And, and yet you're saying to us, you're saying to people, dragging your child to multiple appointments is another form of not listening to your gut. Right. Yep. And we backed off and he was, he was so happy. You could just see the anxiety mm-hmm. reduce. You could see his impulse behaviors slow down and not be so recurring. I mean, we, we needed to take a break and it was, it it was a great summer when we did. (laughs) Yes. And you know, one of the things that I was going to ask you about is, is medication and what, what do you, what do you feel about all that? Oh my gosh. I am such, me personally, I am such an anti-medication person. Yeah. Medication affects me. It, it, It affects me more than it would affect a normal person. I tried taking melatonin one time and I woke up the next morning feeling like I had a hangover. <laughs> um, but oh my gosh, I, sometimes if you've maxed out the tools that you can provide for your child, that may be your next step. I mean, we, I had, I was so hesitant after we got Logan's ADHD diagnosis to start him on medication. I didn't want to go there. I was like, well, if I'm feeling crappy on medication, then he for sure cannot feel good. Like, why would I do yeah. that to my kid? but it was, it was life-changing. He is so grounded. I can, I can reach him at a level that I've never been able to reach him at. I can rationalize with him. Wow. I can talk him through scenarios like, you know, buddy, why, why did you hit your brother today? You know, you guys were playing so fine and Owen's told you that he wanted to be done playing. Why did you slap him, him across the face? And he goes, mom, I was just mad. I was really angry that he, was done playing. I was having so much fun playing with him. And so he just, so, you know, then, and then you can rationalize with him and be like, you know, next time, maybe just say, Owen, can we play for five more minutes instead of being done right now? And he gets it. He does not just go in one ear and out the other. He actually understands what I'm saying to him. And so this medication, I mean, we are on a very low dose of ADHD medication and that we were going through probably I mean, COVID has done a number to our family, but we were probably in the springtime, we were probably at about 30 to 40 meltdowns that were lasting about 10 to 20 minutes each of things being destroyed. I mean, we, it was, it was taking our, over our whole entire day. And I think we're at like less than two now. So we, I cannot speak highly enough about starting medication. If that is the resort that you feel like you need to go to. Yeah. And then the other thing that he is taking that was helping our two to three hour bedtime routine is melatonin. <laughs> so, um, he, you know, I, it was selfish of me to think that I could have like an evening of kids. I mean, my kids go to bed, they wake when the sun rises and they go to bed when, the, you know, mm-hmm. around seven, seven thirty. And so for me, I wanted that time with just my husband at night and not having this two to three hour bedtime. And so finally we reached out to his pediatrician think he was maybe like six or seven maybe and I'm like this cannot be normal like why is this bedtime taking three to four hours like it it is like we're we're on this like cycle of just he we put him down we kiss him good night he comes out of his room 
you know, he's ready to talk about garbage trucks or he's ready to talk about stats of a sports game. And then we tuck him in. Okay, Logan, it's time to turn off your brain. Let's go to bed. Like, you know, we'll talk about this in the morning. And it was just this cycle that we kept and we would do this for two to three hours. And finally I told my husband, I'm like, I'm done. Like, let's just see what he does. Well, he finally just fell, fell asleep on our bedroom floor. Like that's just how exhausted he was. And so he just did not have the ability to turn off his brain and we needed to get him help. And, and melatonin has done us wonders. He is sleeping within 15 to 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. So you, it sounds like it's been, you've had great professionals you can trust and that you're just glad you were open and you let yourself not think you just let yourself be open to some options. Yes. And I had to set aside my fears and my own things that I was fixed on as a person and know that this was what was best for Logan. So yeah. yeah. And you were going to also give a few pointers on distance learning for families in this COVID pandemic recommendations for parents on how to get through this who have a special needs child? It's not easy. (laughs) Um, As an educator, trying to teach my own students from home and trying to navigate my kids' own tools and what they're trying to like log on to is beyond me. It is way (laughs) easier to be in the classroom. Uh, My, let's just say my IEP means I've held for my own kids uh, or my own students have been They've been a trip. I've had like fights breaking out in the background. I've had dogs barking. I've had mom, you know, someone tapping me on the shoulder of saying, mom, I, you know, I got to go poop. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And so it's been an adventure. And thankfully, I mean, like to, again, to find the bright spot out of this, I feel like it has really brought me closer and my families that I've been working with a lot um, I feel like we've had a bigger connection because they've they've been able to see my chaos and I've also seen theirs. Oh, right. And so I, I cannot tell you how many families I worked with last year. At the end of the school year, they're like, you are real. Like you are raw. Everything about your background in in your household has shown us that like this is not abnormal and that we will get through this because we have people like you to lead by example and to learn from and so, be vulnerable. Uh, you are being vulnerable yes, be with vulnerable. people, even totally. when you don't want to be, <laughs> we, I didn't mean to, they just happened. <laughs> so, so just a few pointers that I have kind of come up with. There are no particular order at all. Don't stop advocating for your child. Even when your child is distance learning, it doesn't matter if they're in the classroom or learning on a screen, you still need to be their biggest advocate. And I say that mainly because if you don't feel, I, special ed kids are going to get lost in the mix of distance learning. I think it's a very known fact. I fear that for my own child and, I, and I'm trying to do better for my own kids I'm servicing. If you don't feel that, that your child is receiving enough support, they're probably not. And so you have to really check in with their teachers and make sure that they're doing the work that is expected. And if they're, if they're not getting the benefit of the doubt that they're on an IEP or that they're not getting the modifications that are in their IEP, you, you need to bring that to their attention. Yes. I think distance learning as an educator was something we were never planned. Like I never went to school learning about how to be a teacher distance learning wise. Yes, like of course. that is not a thing. So last year was not distance learning. The spring was like 
controlled chaos, like controlled wildfire. Like we had, we had no idea what we were doing in the spring. We tried our hardest and we were, we did it as a team. We, you can't do it. It, it's a lot different now in the fall than it was in the spring, but still the fall, we are still figuring out kinks. We are still yes. trying to work out those, those little ruffles that, that we don't really, we're still learning as we go. I mean, it's like flying an airplane that's being built. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> the, built, the plane's not built yet, but we're still expected to fly it. And so I feel like that's just the best analogy that I can yeah. give of kind of what we're feeling as educators, but also as parents, like you need to, because of how chaotic it is, you need to stay on top of your child's team and make sure that they're still being provided those those services that they that their IEP states that they should be yeah. servicing. So and clarify if your child is not able to do it, clearly the goals need to shift. Yes. Or so be in touch and don't be afraid to say it's a nightmare at home and we couldn't get through school at all today. Like tell say that. Be yeah. real. Yep, exactly. Be real. My next one is, this is kind of coming from the teacher standpoint, but we as teachers, we don't expect parents to be the teacher. We expect you guys to do the best you can. We expect that this is still a team collaborative effort. Like we are not handing off the baton to you as parents saying, good luck, go, go educate your child. That's not your role. Your role is still to be your, their parent. You just need to support them in a different way. And so I had, I had so many families in the spring that were like, we did not go to school for education. We are not teachers. Like I, I you know, it, so just hearing that just kept reminding myself that I, I'm not expecting the parents to collect data for us. I might ask them some questions that kind of revolve around some of their goals and objectives, but we, that's not the expectation. The expectation is that we are still in a team effort and that we are still collaborating as a, as a IEP team. So yeah, you're um, collaborating. You are the lead because you're the teacher yeah. and the parent is collaborating and that's the way you want. You don't want them to get so overwhelmed and panicked that they right. like right. duck out too. <laughs> totally. Yep. Exactly. The third one is just always communicate with your child's teacher, especially during this unknown time. I felt like my communication with Logan's special ed teacher kind of dropped off as the spring went on because I was overwhelmed with these changes. I was overwhelmed with just life and trying to teach my own students that I kind of was just like, I think Logan's fine. I'm just going to kind of put, you know, this is fine. I'm just going to push it off to the back burner. But it wasn't really communicating with them to my best ability because I should have been saying you know, he is melting down every time he logs onto the computer. Oh, okay. He, he cannot handle the amount of screen time. Like my kid is overstimulated being on a screen in general. And so for him to learn on a screen and to be watching these random YouTube videos or these random like gym class videos or whatever, oh, right. I'm, I'm going to take him outside and play baseball with him instead of having him watch a gym video. Oh, like, right. Just, that's the modification I'm going to do. And you're just going to have to be okay with it. So you, you want parents to say, instead of getting into muscling their child to sit and watch this gym video. Yes. The parent has to be flexible too. Yes. Say, yes. And we do something else. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's okay to do something else. And that goes right into my really, my last kind of key point was that if school is not working or it's just too stressful, teach your child life skills. I, I'm sorry, but 
life skills are way more important than trying to struggle, you know, getting your child to the computer. I mean, teach them how to cook something, teach them, you know, go on a nature hike, go do something outside, go, you know, teach them how to do the laundry. I mean, there's so many different things that as parents, we think that like, nope, we, we have to teach them what the, what the expectation is in school, like math and reading and literacy. But when all reality, if we're in a pandemic right now, don't sweat that stuff. Like one year is one year. I I really teach them something that they're going to take away and that they can actually apply it when they go, when they go out on their own someday. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, You're giving parents a lot of freedom that is very consistent with what I'm hearing from other educators. So good for people to know. And then Mm -hmm. if they go back to, but they need to do the reading now and they need to learn what your other tips have been. Don't lead by fear here. If your child is not ready for that math lesson, your child is ready to do something else, communicate with the teacher, but it's okay to go do laundry. Yes. (laughs) It's okay. I love what you're saying. It's a very rational approach, Steph. Yeah. And I am so glad that you joined me today. Thank you so much for, for being on Finding Your Brilliance. Again, my guest today was Stephanie Deer. Such a blessing for people touched by autism, ADHD, and anxiety to hear your words of wisdom. If this topic speaks to you, please pass it along to your friends and family and subscribe to my podcast. You can find out more about me on my website at kqadhdandu, that's the word and and the letter u.com. And just remember that we each have our own brilliance. Some days it just takes a while to find it.